Hi, and welcome to the National Shooting Sports Foundation's podcast series, Gun Industry Speaks. As a trade association for the firearms and ammunition industry, we're often talked about in the news and on social media. Throughout this series, we'll be speaking for ourselves. We will cover who we represent, what our goals are, and what we do to promote real solutions for safer communities. If you're just tuning in, we'd recommend starting with the first episode. My name is Elizabeth McGuigan, and I'm the Director of Policy and Legislative Research for NSSF. I'm here with our president, Joe Bertozzi. In our last episode, we talked about the debate on universal background checks and the firearm industry's Fix Nix initiative. Today, we're going to discuss crime. Where do criminals get their guns? What trends we see in the crime data? And what the industry is doing to keep firearms out of the wrong hands? Now, Joe, with all the news coverage of the recent mass shootings, why are we starting off talking about more general crime instead of these high-profile incidents? Unfortunately, the, the high-profile incidents get the attention. And, right. and maybe that's part of the problem, too, why these things occur, because there's so much attention given to them. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, we know that shootings occur in big cities every day. Mm -hmm. And weekends, um, you could have a, a shooting that would be equivalent to one of these so-called mass shooting events, but no one's talking about it. I think that's really unfortunate. Right. I think we need to provide attention to these shootings. We need to examine the causes of these things and get to the root cause and solve these things. Now, we can start with a big picture look at the problem, I guess, so to start off here. So all too often, gun control advocates skip to so-called solution. We see, you know, these crimes happen, the big mass shootings happen, they want the initial knee-jerk reaction, let's ban guns, without actually defining the problem at hand and figuring out how to address that problem. Can you help describe this problem, how you see it? Well, you can't fix a problem unless you accurately define what right. it is you're trying to solve for, right? You have to identify the variables, mm -hmm. identify the problem you're trying to solve for, and then go about finding a solution. Get to the root cause, mm -hmm. which is the criminal gangs and drugs mm -hmm. in our community, and start looking at, at ways to dissuade them from this activity. Right, Make right. the cost of doing this type of business so high that they'll think twice. Right. So I think that might be a better option than erecting more barriers mm -hmm. to law-abiding people who have no intention of breaking the law and want to do the right thing. Sure. What you don't hear, frankly, mm -hmm. is that since the 1990s, homicide with firearms is down 50%. Right, right. So it doesn't fit the narrative mm -hmm. that the news media, the 24-hour news cycle, is trying to portray that somehow we're less safe today right. than we were 30 years ago. That's not, it's not accurate, mm -hmm. not accurate at all. Okay, um, homicides are down, firearms, total homicides are down. Mm -hmm. And again, we said that they dropped, you know, 50% um, since 94 to 2017. Right. And at the same time that that crime is declining, firearms in, in circulation have increased by over 180 million firearms. Right. So right. surge in firearms ownership, decrease in crime over the same time periods. Mm -hmm. That tells you something that law-abiding citizens are not committing these crimes. In fact, crimes are decreasing. And I would say, too, we see that same downward trend in other violent crimes besides homicide. It's not just homicide with firearm. And we see assaults are down, and uh, just kind of across the board, firearm-related crimes are down. Now, the, I guess, as we mentioned in the last podcast, you know, government surveys of prison inmates show that 80% of their guns were obtained on the black market you know, through theft or on the street. It's rare for a criminal to report that they legally walked into a retailer and purchased a firearm. 
If that's the case, what can we do as the legal law-abiding industry to help prevent criminals from illegally obtaining their guns? Well, first of all, you're exactly right. They're not going to walk into a gun shop if they have a record right. because they know, chances are, very good, they're going to get found out and now they face other penalties mm -hmm. for falsifying or trying to obtain a firearm under false pretenses, sure. falsifying uh, the, the Form 4473 that we talked about mm -hmm. in the last podcast. So, so what do we do? What we try to do as an industry is to reach out to our firearm retailers, mm -hmm. the people that sell firearms, and educate them on how to identify perhaps prohibited person from coming in. And we, we took the first approach as what we call don't lie for the other guy okay. program. And that is where we try to prevent what's known as a straw purchase, keeping guns out of the wrong hands of someone who shouldn't have a gun yep. by identifying those factors that would create a straw purchase. And, and what is a straw purchase? I mean, you know, we hear that term a lot. What does it mean? And can you tell us more about how the don't lie program works? Yep, a straw purchase in the, in the most general sense mm -hmm. is where you falsify information on the, on the 4473 form right. that indicates you're the actual buyer of the firearm when in fact the actual buyer is somebody else. So Could you're be somebody, it for somebody You're buying else. it for somebody else okay. who, who, by the way, is prohibited. Mm. So it's not like you're buying it for somebody else and then giving it to a non-prohibited person as a gift. Mm -hmm. It's you're, you're, you're putting on the form that you're the actual purchaser, but in reality transferring it to somebody who is prohibited from going sure. in and doing the form himself. Sure. That's a straw man, and we, so that we call that a straw purchase. And there are, there are ways to help identify this and prevent that from happening. Okay, so how does Don't Lie do that? How does Don't Lie teach our retailers who have to be licensed by the ATF, who care about not letting prohibited people get a hold of guns, how does Don't Lie teach them you know, what to look for and, and help them out with that? We have these kits that we send out to retailers. Mm -hmm. uh, it, it contains a video, it contains okay. talking points, information, and the video, for example, has scenarios that they can watch and, and see the typical straw purchase type transactions. Okay. Uh, for example, two people walk in together, mm -hmm. one person looks at a particular firearm, says, I want that one, or that's the one, that's a good one right mm -hmm. there. Then the person next to them does the paperwork and obtains the firearm only to give it to the person who was right, actually looking at right. it in the first place. That's kind of a very simplistic scenario, but it's one that unfortunately has happened, which right. is why we created the, this toolkit in the first place, which is why we have the video scenarios mm -hmm. to identify these types of things. So that's, that's one way to, yeah. uh, to get the message out. And are our retailers, are they allowed to say no? Can they just say, no, I'm not gonna sell you that? Or will they get in trouble for that? Do they have any discretion? They have absolute discretion okay. in this matter. Uh, they don't have to, to sell a firearm to mm -hmm. anyone if they're not comfortable with the sale. Okay. Uh, and, and again, I, as we mentioned before, the retailers are the first line of defense against the wrong people getting firearms. So they want to do the right thing. They know at the end of the day, it's going to come back and reflect poorly on them. Mm -hmm. So they don't want that on their conscience, certainly. They have a business interest, right, to protect. They have right. an ownership interest in that business. They want to protect that business. They're not going to do something foolish to make profit on one gun to, to, to sacrifice the entire business, it doesn't make any sense. We want to educate the public also on why this is illegal and what the penalties are under law for creating a straw purchase. And I know that's part of the Don't Lie program. Where have we done this sort of public relations campaign along with the Don't Lie campaigns? 
We've done them throughout the country, uh, Houston, uh, San Diego, Chicago, Detroit, uh, New York, Baltimore, Maryland, Atlanta, Georgia, Boston. Okay. Those places we've done Don't Lie events. Uh, I was at one earlier this year in Detroit. Okay. It was, was very well attended by the media. It was mm -hmm. attended by a district attorney, by the ATF. And our message is very simple. You know, buy a gun for someone who can't and buy yourself 10 years in jail. We put it on billboards. Clear. Yep. We mm -hmm. put it on the side of buses. We put it on the radio, mm -hmm. um, public service announcements. So we're constantly notifying the, the public in those areas during that campaign period that if someone asks you to buy a gun for them, you better think twice sure. because you yourself are going to face penalties and very severe ones too. Yeah, that's important for them to know. It sounds like we've covered a lot of ground since we started the program in 2000 to work to educate retailers and the public. And that's great, but as retailers deter these illegal purchasers, won't the criminals just steal guns from the gun shops instead? Yeah, unfortunately, that is a problem. What we're seeing is they're stealing cars, yeah. smashing through the doors of a, of a retailer, mm -hmm. and stealing as many guns as they can grab in a short amount of time as possible. The smash and grab burglaries, right, right. we've even seen some robberies, which is a very, very uh, dangerous thing. You know, have an armed conflict inside of a gun shop. Uh, people can get hurt, innocent civilians, bystanders can get hurt. So we're seeing these things. Um, so again, we're trying to uh, deter these type of things. Mm -hmm. So for example, if there's a robbery from a gun store and ATF offers a reward right. for information uh, leading to a conviction, the NSSF will match that reward. So essentially okay. doubles the money that's available to basically bring this person to justice. And I think that's a very important thing. I know the ATF is very happy with that mm -hmm. program. But again, that's the gun industry paying to basically put our money where our mouth is. We right. don't want these guns on the street. We're actually willing to pay to get them back through this reward program. Absolutely, well it's certainly bad for business. You know, with, um, with burglaries and robberies on the rise, as we see in the data, um, we know that just offering the rewards weren't enough. So have we come up with any new programs or partnerships with ATF to, to help expand our efforts? On this front? Yes, we have. Uh, as you mentioned, Don't Lie has been around for 19 years, right. which really a very successful program. We started about two years ago a program called Operation Secure Store. Okay. And this is in response to these smash and grab burglaries mm -hmm. and or robberies that we're seeing and that ATF is reporting on. And what we're doing is we have um, contracted with security specialists mm -hmm. throughout the country and they will go to your retail establishment, your gun shop, essentially, right. and they will do a physical assessment of your security measures. Alarms, Makes lights, yep. gates, those concrete bollers or mm -hmm. those large planters you see in front of several buildings these days sure. um, to prevent a car from coming through and smashing into the building. Mm -hmm. They will go through and they'll make an assessment mm -hmm. uh, and provide a written report back to the gun shop owners Okay. Uh, to, as to measures they can take to prevent smash and grabs um, and burglaries and robberies. Right. And it may be something as simple as putting smash resistant glass film, or mm -hmm. film, I should say, f smash film over the glass of the case or over the oh, doors the and things cases. like that, display yeah. cases to prevent them. Um, but there's no one size fits all solution. So they do a case by case mm -hmm. based on that particular store in that particular location. Um, is it a standalone building that might have one set of circumstances? Is it, is it adjoining other buildings? Mm -hmm. There will be other considerations there. But the idea is they'll go into a, a personal assessment of that facility 
to assess the security concerns and address them if necessary. Yeah, that makes sense. And actually, we've seen some good progress too since we since we started Operation Secure Store. Just looking at data on ATF's website, so we know burglaries peaked in 2017, right before we started the program, um, where there was a 71% increase over 2013. So it was a big increase in the number of burglaries from from FFLs. And uh, 2018, so we had Operation Secure Store had been in place for about a year. That number dropped 26%. So it's still higher than 2013. We've obviously still got a lot of work to do, but it is good to see that it, it, it is being effective and that our retailers, our members, they care about not having their legal inventory get into the wrong hands. And I think it's important too that it has been so effective because like you said, it's not a one size fits all mandate on every single retailer. As we hear these calls for mandates, and um, it's important that, to note that this voluntary, proactive, education-centric campaign has been a more effective approach. Program mm -hmm. is, is, is important, mm -hmm. to, your, to your point, the program yeah. is very important because what we don't want is for those guns to get into that community because right. they're being stolen, right. they're being, uh, you know, they're being part of a burglary, mm -hmm. they're not going to be sold to a hunting and shooting group, right? Sure, sure. They're going to be used on the black market as potential currency mm -hmm. uh, in, the, in uh, drug dealers' uh, hands and so forth. So it's a terrible crime. It has two victims, right? The gun shop is victimized. His inventory is stolen. His business right. reputation is in trouble. Mm -hmm. And you've got a criminal element in that community with stolen guns. So it's a real problem that we are very seriously attacking. Mm -hmm. And it's very gratifying to see the numbers start to come down. We hope it the is. trend continues. I met recently with the new acting D deputy director of ATF, and she is absolutely okay. thrilled with the program, wants to continue the program in a partnership with ATF, sure. and we are absolutely committed to doing so. That's great. That's great because we know FFLs, you know, our retailers, they remain the high-value targets for some of these determined criminals. But so this is a great program. I think you know we have seen a lot of really great impact from Operation Secure Store. What else can be done? You know, we talk a lot about legislation. Um, now we'll talk, you know, obviously in a later episode more thoroughly about why a ban on certain guns or limit on magazine capacity, why those aren't effective solutions. But do we support any legislation out there that can fight the crimes and can actually address the problem at its source? You know, one of the things we're looking at right now, and we've, we've actually had legislation introduced very fairly recently, is called the Federal Firearms Licensee Protection Act of 2019, introduced as S1788 by Senator Graham, South Carolina. Uh, and then uh, we had two, two folks in the, in the House, uh, H.R. 2179, Connor Lamb um, and John Rutherford, uh, mm -hmm. to basically increase the penalties for burglaries or robberies right. of an FFL, Federal Firearms Licensee, mm -hmm. such as a retailer, right, a gun shop. The idea is to strengthen the criminal penalties to act as a deterrent mm -hmm. to folks doing these smash and grabs and creating this criminal underground transaction market. for guns, a market, right, right. underground market for guns. Now, I will tell you, it's not always been smooth sledding. Mm -hmm. This seems like a logical thing to do uh, in, light of, in light of recent events and what we're seeing with these, with these burglaries. Sure. But I was recently on Capitol Hill and met with a staffer for one of a, uh, a Democrat senator who will remain nameless at this <laughs> that's, point. That's fine. But the, the, we, we started to introduce this and said we'd love to have your sponsorship or co-sponsorship mm -hmm. on this bill because we think it's important to protect retailers from these types of crimes and to protect the communities, sure. right, from the guns that are going to amp in those communities right. when the crimes occur. 
And the notion that we would actually try to enhance penalties for criminals mm -hmm. was a non-starter. Basically saying, we don't believe in this type of deterrence. Yeah. We don't think it works. We're not inclined to these types of mandatory minimum sentences mm -hmm. and things like that that this bill would, would put in place. And I, I was a little bit surprised, perhaps naively so, not being a politician, I would think this has all the common sense in the world right. to say, look, if you this is a very this is almost a violent crime in a way. It is driving a car through a store or smashing into a into a wall and mm -hmm. breaking things and stealing guns, and yet there are certain members of Congress that have no appetite for penalizing criminals. It's unfortunate, I think, but hopefully we can overcome this. Mm -hmm. Hopefully we can persuade them to do the right thing. And I think ultimately they, they will, at least I hope they will. I hope so too. It seems like it's something that should not be controversial. And as you mentioned earlier, I mean, we do have more resources about the, the trends um, in crime and our programs like Don't Lie and Operation Secure Store. But I wanted to point out, you bring up your visit to the Hill, I wanted to point out that we also have a section of our website that's dedicated to advocacy. And we drive our members there all the time. Um, but I wanted to make sure our podcast listeners also know, if you want to make sure your members of Congress are doing what they can to support legislation like the FFL Protection Act, check out our website, senesf.org, click on advocacy, send them a note. Now, before we wrap up, I wonder if you can talk a little bit about why the solutions we're talking about today are targeted at criminal activities, so more in the criminal justice realm not so much framed as public health solutions. So that's something we hear about a lot. Right now we hear a lot about crime with guns talked about as a public health crisis. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I don't, I don't support the theory that, that gun ownership mm -hmm. is a public health crisis. Right. The criminal misuse of firearms is a criminal justice issue, mm -hmm. not, a, not a public health issue. Right. And I think there are a lot of people that would agree with that idea. There are millions and millions of law-abiding gun owners in this country that don't misuse the product, that do the right thing, that follow the laws. Right, They're right. not a problem. This is simply a way to, frankly, divide us instead right. of unite us over the issues mm -hmm. of crime control, uh, which where we should be focusing our efforts. Well, as you said in the beginning of this episode, too, I mean, it's all about describing the problem. And I think that some of the gun control advocates have redefined or are attempting to redefine the problem as a public health crisis just because they they see that as an avenue to their policies being put into place even though they aren't effective criminal justice deterrence. So hopefully with the problem accurately identified we can continue to you know focus on the real solutions for the safer communities. We want to avoid soundbite right. mentality. We want to avoid the quick fix notion. There's no quick fix. We know it's not a quick fix mm -hmm. but we need to find we f need to find the root cause of the problem. You identify that, we need to work on that. But dividing us and, and kind of obscuring what's really going on mm -hmm. here by couching in different terms doesn't do anyone any good. Right. It's certainly not gonna solve the problem. It's not gonna make our communities safer. Some of the things we're working on, in fact, will make our communities safer and are making our communities safer right now. Absolutely, and luckily we see they're working, and we know that as an industry, we're going to keep up the funding, keep up the developing of new programs as well. But you know, that's all of our time for today. So I wanted to say thank you, Joe, and thanks again for listening. And please join us again next week for another deep dive into the issues that are facing our community today, and how the gun industry is working for real solutions for safer communities. <music>